Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will bring you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. This week, I'm going to tell you the story of the disappearance and murder of Amber Dubois and Chelsea King. Amber was a freshman student at Escondido High School and was last seen on February 13, 2009. Amber had been looking forward to attend school on that day. You see, Amber wanted to be a veterinarian when she grew up. She cares so much about animals that her family would joke that she would love animals more than she cared for people. So it was only natural that on that day, Amber would be excited to go to school because she had a science project that year that involved having to raise a baby lamb. A baby lamb? So the school just had lambs that they were selling to students for science projects? <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> no, the school had a program called Future Farmers of America, and it was through that program that they were getting the baby lambs through. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. So Amber was up and ready to go to school on time without any prompting because she was going to get the check for her baby lamb that morning. Amber's mom, Carrie, recalled seeing her daughter excited that morning. Carrie would say goodbye to her daughter before going to work. Carrie, Carrie told Amber that Dave, her stepfather, would give her the check before, he, before she left for school. Amber would reply back to her by saying, Thanks, Mom. I love you so much. Thank you for the lamb. Without knowing it, those would be the last words that Carrie would ever hear from her daughter. Amber's stepfather, Dave, was getting ready in that morning when he recalls Amber coming up to the room and asking him for the check. And Dave would reply back to her that he would give it to her before he left. And she would come up several times after asking, and then eventually Dave would get annoyed and reply back, You'll have the check, I promise, just relax. Which, I totally understand Dave's reaction. I mean, I know me in the mornings when I'm rushing in the morning to get ready to go to work and trying to get out the door, the last thing I need is somebody pestering me over and over about something after I told them that I would give it to them. So I totally get it. But keep in mind that this natural interaction would eventually be taken out of context. Once Dave has finished getting ready, he walks down the stairs, writes out the check for the lamb, and leaves the check on top of the arm of the couch. He would later describe in an interview that I saw that Amber was sitting on the floor of the living room eating a bowl of cereal. And before Dave walks out the door, he would say to Amber, sweetie, here's the check for your lamb. I'll see you later. I love you. Not knowing that those would be the last words that he would say to Amber, and that would be the last time that he would see her. It has been reported that Amber was last seen just a little bit after 7 in the morning, just blocks from Escondido High School. And at 5.45 in the afternoon, Carrie would report Amber missing. Female, 14 years old, 5'3", 
running away, and this is out of character for her. All of her friends and family members have been contacted and do not know her whereabouts. If you have any information regarding Amber Leanne Dubois, please contact the Escanado Police Department. Early into the investigation, the detectives were suspect Dave of having something to do with Amber's disappearance. Why would they suspect him? Well, I read during my research that there was a lot of inconsistencies with his story of that morning and ultimately something that really stuck out to detectives and Carrie was that on that day, Dave decided to not show up to work. Hmm. That's kind of weird. So wait, Carrie also suspected him? Mm, Yes and no. Um, I did see an interview on TV where Carrie said that at the time she didn't think that Dave had actually planned out to kill Amber, but she could see that maybe on that morning um, with Amber going and pestering him about the checks so many times that maybe an argument broke up and she might have fallen down the stairs in an accident. So she pretty much was saying, I can see him trying to hide an accident, but I don't think that he would actually plan to murder Amber. Premeditated. Right. Something else that stuck out to Carrie was just she couldn't understand, like, why when cops were questioning him, why all of a sudden he just couldn't remember things and she just also couldn't understand why he didn't go to work on that day. So I think it was just out of frustration and desperation for her wanting, you know, those answers and wanting to find her daughter that it was hard for her to understand as she's sitting there, you know, next to him as he's being questioned. Why can't he remember? Yeah, that makes sense. But I guess I can understand that. But do we know what he actually did that day? Why he didn't go to work? So, that morning he left the house and it was said that he was known to go to the gym before going to work. So, he did do that and then he drove back home to take a, a shower. So, obviously, when he got home, Amber was gone already, but he didn't think that that was odd, like Amber being gone, because it should have been around the time that she should have been at school anyway. I don't think that I ever did come across that reason as to, well, why didn't he go to work? I don't think that I ever did find anything like that in my research or anything that mentioned that. I mean, I don't even understand why he wouldn't even mention it to Carrie as to, you know, oh, by the way, I'm not going to go to work today, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah, but I, I couldn't find anything on that, so I'm not sure. So I'm assuming that eventually detectives cleared him as a suspect uh yes so the detectives were able to verify that he did in fact go to the movies um oh sorry because i forgot to mention that at some point when he was being questioned as to his whereabouts he happened to also drop that in the middle of the day he just decided to go to the movies by himself and you know again that was one of the reasons that carrie couldn't understand she was just like, what do you mean you went to the movies in the middle of the day when you should have been at work? But they were able to verify that he did go to the movies and that he had been to the gym. Hmm. But Sounds some alone time. 
Right. But I did also read that they had done a lot of extensive interviews on Dave. So um, they had brought him in several times for questioning. And they even at one point during one of the questionings, they made him take off his shirt so that cops can take pictures of like his hands, his arms, his chest, his back, just to make sure that there was no um, no evidence, like no scratches, no bruising, nothing that would indicate that he might have gone into a confrontation with somebody. Hmm. I guess that makes sense, but that's probably like standard operating procedure. Right, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, but to answer your question, yeah, eventually they did clear him because he didn't have anything on him. Like, he didn't have any bruising and scratching. So, six months after Amber went missing, Carrie would hire a team of life scent search and recovery dogs to try and retrace Amber's last steps. The investigation would lead them to a remote area of the Pala Indian Reservation, which was about or is about 15 miles away from the high school. I wasn't able to find out what happened after the scent dog detected Amber's scent in that remote area of Paula, but I do know that they did not recover Amber's body at that time. A year after Amber went missing, on February 25th, 2010, 17-year-old Chelsea King went missing. Chelsea King's parents, Kelly and Brent King, would describe the day of February 25th, 2010 as a normal day. She woke up that morning and fixed herself a healthy breakfast like she did every day. And before leaving, she would yell out, Bye mom and dad, I love you. Chelsea would usually get home at around 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So when Kelly got home that afternoon and Chelsea wasn't home, it wasn't that big of a concern at first because they just thought that she probably had gone out for a run after school since Chelsea was a cross-country runner and she would often run after school. It wasn't until 3.30 when Chelsea's dad, Brent, gets home and his wife, Kelly, asks if he had heard from Chelsea. And it's almost immediately that her parents begin to worry about Chelsea. Chelsea wasn't the type of teen that would just disappear without letting her parents know where she was going and when she would be back. She was always in constant communication with her parents. So Kelly starts to text Chelsea and she starts calling around to her friends to see if anyone had seen her or heard from her since school let out. But no one had seen or heard from Chelsea. And it isn't until several phone calls that one friend suggests to Kelly to check the Where's My iPhone app. Oh, that's a really good idea. I didn't think about that. Right? I, I mean, I thought so too. And eventually that's how her parents come to find out that she was three miles away at the Rancho Bernardo Community Park. Kelly instructs Brent to drive to the park while she stays home so that she can call the police and inform them of the situation. When Brent pulls into the parking lot of the park, he immediately sees his daughter's car and when he looks through the window, he sees that her cell phone is in the car. So then immediately, Brent takes off running into the trails, calling out Chelsea's name. 
When he gets a call from the police informing him that they were at the park and that they need to get more information from him. Right away, the search for Chelsea begins. Kelly and Brent were astonished as to how many volunteers would show up to help find their daughter. You mean we're talking about the same day? The same day they started the search? It's a matter of hours. I mean, Brent took off running to the trails, calling out Chelsea's name. He gets the phone call from the police, letting him know, hey, we're here. Um, we need to ask you a few questions. So he turns turns back around, runs back to meet with the police officers. And yeah, almost immediately, I mean, the search starts. And I wonder what they were thinking. You know, like, obviously, you know, I guess the first thought would be, Maybe she's hurt. Maybe she hurt herself running and she needs help. Yeah. I, mean, and I guess I, that'd be the first thing I would think of, not, you know, call it police. But I mean, glad they did. Right. Well, I think also, I guess that area is known for rattlesnakes. So um, I, I guess that was Brent's first thought, too. It's like, hey, maybe she got bitten by a rattlesnake or I don't yeah. know if mountain lions were known to be there. But, like, you know, she just got hurt. Like something natural like twisted her ankle or you know something like that. i'm sure it never even crossed her mind hey their daughter yeah i mean you know some like oh call the cops i'm gonna stay home and you call the cops i'm like yeah that, that's kind of where they were leaning towards so like right wow okay very different from the amber dubois right yeah no there there's a huge difference there okay so it's during one of the search parties when Carrie, Amber's mom, would feel the need to show up at one of these search parties and just kind of showed her support to the King family since she knew exactly what they were going through. Uh, this incident just obviously reminded her of Amber and everything that she had experienced the year prior. So she just felt this strong pull to show up and be there for the King family. And at that point, the Amber, I mean, they haven't really found anything on her. It's still pretty much a, I wouldn't say cold case, but they still don't have any true leads. Right. I mean, they just had, you know, the dog scent that had brought them back to that remote area of the Paula Indian Reservation. Yeah, and this is about um, a year later. Right. So, okay. the, again, um, Chelsea went missing a year after Amber, so... It was kind of Amber's uh, case. It just, they were back to square one. They really didn't have much to go off of. So two days after Chelsea goes missing, an off-duty police officer finds a pair of underwear on the trail where Chelsea had gone missing from. And the underwear appeared to have spots of blood on them. Um, So right away, the cops collected and they rush it over to the crime lab of the San Diego sheriff's department um forensics they run um lab work on the blood and they confirm that the blood actually does belong to chelsea and they also find that there's the male dna on the underwear and right worst outcome from that type of evidence yeah so it would take them six days for Chelsea to be found in a shallow grave of the lake. But the DNA and the underwear would lead detectives straight to John Garner III. 
So John Garner III was a previous convicted sex offender and he had been released early for good behavior prior to Amber going missing. Weeks before Chelsea goes missing, 23-year-old Candace Moncayo goes for a run on the same trails that Chelsea King would be on that February 25th of 2010. Candace is running on the trail when a man comes out from behind a tree and tackles her to the ground. She begins to try and fight him off and she's thinking that this guy, he's, he's trying to rape me. So she tells him that he's going to have to kill her first. And that's when Garner replies back with a bone chilling sentence of that can be arranged. Yeah, and that's when Candace realizes that she's now fighting for her life. And she ends up hitting Garner on the nose, and she's able to get away from him. So while detectives are questioning Garner um, after they arrest him, they describe him as arrogant. And during the questioning, the detectives would show a picture of Chelsea to Garner but he would deny ever knowing her or having anything to do with her or with her disappearance. And the detectives eventually would get tired of questioning him and him denying it. So they would take a break from questioning him and they left a picture of Chelsea's in the room with Garner. And that's when detectives would see him grab the picture of Chelsea and say, you bitch, you ruined my life. That's yeah. just when he was in the room by himself? Yeah, so you know how there's like that, what's it, that two-sided, sided, yeah, yeah, that double-sided mirror. So like they would go back there and then that's when they would witness Gardner, grab the picture and say that to the picture and just kind of toss the picture to the side. So on February 28th is when they make the arrest. The detectives felt that even though they didn't have a body, they had enough with the DNA on Chelsea's underwear. And hearing him say that statement for them, that was enough evidence. Very incriminating. Right. So what about Candace? Did, was she able to... How were they able to link Gardner back to him being the attacker? So they ended up showing her a picture of Gardner. And that's how she identified him as her attacker. But... I, I'm not sure how cops actually connected Gardner to her. I think it was just because she had originally, you know, she had followed the police report after she got attacked and based on the area where she was and, you know, obviously Chelsea went missing in the same area that I think that's when they were like, hmm, there might be a connection here. So let's show her the picture of Gardner and see if she's able to identify which she was able to identify him as her attacker. So um, I think that's how they ended up linking him to her attack. And again, how far back was that? So it was just a couple of weeks prior to Chelsea going missing when she had gotten attacked by Garner. Oh, and I forgot to mention that I was watching a documentary on Oxygen called Buried in the Backyard, I believe it's the name of the show. They said on there that while Garner was being questioned, 
that he would also make the statement about, oh, you're probably going to try and frame me for Amber Dubois' disappearance too, huh? To the detectives. And keep in mind, I don't think that at this point, the detectives were even thinking that Amber's disappearance and Chelsea's were connected at all. Honestly, I, I can kind of remember that. And I don't think there was any type of connection to both at that point in time. Right, yeah, like, there really wasn't. Watching that live as it happened. So he pretty much outed himself at that point. Yes, yeah. So, because obviously at that point, detectives did find it kind of odd that he would even bring Amber's name up. I mean, that part of the, I mean, it's North County, San Diego, but it's definitely a different area. All right. So on the fifth day of the search, that's when they would discover Chelsea's body on a shallow grave close to the water. Um, and because she hadn't gone missing for that long, detectives were still able to positively identify the body as Chelsea King. So, just days after the arrest, Gardner's attorney would contact the DA's office to try and make a plea deal. And the deal they wanted to make was to take the death penalty off the case, and in return, he would lead them to Amber Dubois' body. Wow. So, at that point, that was an agreement that Gardner's lawyers were trying to make yeah yeah so um he just wanted you know he said if you if they take the death penalty off the table i'll lead them straight to amber Dubois's body so at this point now he's confessing, now he's confessing. yeah now he's confessing yeah. and saying you know i obviously had i was involved in amber Dubois's disappearance so i guess by doing that and offering that plea deal it gives the King family that choice, you know, of giving Carrie and her family that closure that they've been looking for for a little over a year now. Or, I don't want to say avenge the murder of their daughter, but in a sense, you know, get that... Um, I, I mean, it's really the ultimate penalty, right? The right. Penalty yeah. Or, life or life you know, giving prison. this other family, you know, the closure. closure. Right. So it was really up to the King family to make that decision, which I absolutely commend them for that, for that because, you know, it just makes me think, I know if it was one of my kids that that had happened to, I don't know that I would be able to make the right decision and give that other family that closure that they need you know i know if it was if it was my kid i would i, I would probably just want to go after them i mean i know that's probably wrong but at the end of the day obviously they did make the right decision they decided to okay we'll take the death penalty off the table and go ahead and lead them to Amber Dubois' body. Yeah, and I just wonder you know, if there was nothing. There weren't any leads. It was cold. Right. So, I, you know, like I said, I'm sure any of our listeners would probably do the same thing. I'm just saying, like, for me, that would be a very hard decision 
just because I know I'm a very vengeful person. So, you know, it. I know it. that must have not been an easy decision for them to make. But on March 6, 2010, Garner will lead investigators to the remote area of Paula, right where that dog had led them to. That was the same spot where eventually Garner did lead them. Um, so that was the same spot where six months earlier, or a little bit longer than that, mm -hmm. that they had that search dog find it. Mm -hmm. and they found the scent. And obviously they couldn't really go any further from there. Yeah. In that documentary that I mentioned earlier from Oxygen, I they said on there that it actually took them a while to get to the exact location where he had buried Amber. So I'm assuming that it was just a large remote area. So I guess that little by little they started to remove dirt from the area and then that's when they started seeing Amber's remains. And keep in mind that it had been a year at this point. So unfortunately like just nature you know the animals had gone to the remains and they were able to recover her skull her spine and you know her major other bones but her full body was never actually recovered it's awful right so it's just so sad you know and i had read in, an, in a different article i believe it was 48 hours where they interviewed amber's dad and it was just my gosh it was just it was heartbreaking because he said in that interview our whole baby hasn't been recovered yet and that statement alone yeah like it tore me apart like i remember when i was reading that i just burst into tears crying like i just i can't imagine you know like yes you finally you found your daughter but her entire her entire body hasn't been found so i mean i can't even imagine that you know we actually do have that clip it is really heartbreaking but take a listen You know, it was just, it, the whole thing, it's just, it's very heartbreaking for, obviously, for both the families. So, they end up making Amber's identification through dental records. And on April 17th, 2010, Garner pleads guilty to the murders of Chelsea King and Amber Dubois. Garner is sentenced to life in prison. And even though he got life in prison, that wouldn't be enough for Carrie. Carrie was on a mission. She, she wanted to find out exactly what happened to her daughter. You know, and I don't blame her for that. I mean, she had all these questions like, how did he get her in his car? 
you know, how was, how, she just wanted to know the details of everything, which, like I said, I mean, I don't blame her for wanting to know that. That's That was just like the final closure that she needed. She already knew she had recovered parts of her daughter's body. Um, and she knew who did it. And now she just wanted to know, okay, on that day, how did it play out? And eventually Carrie would have that meeting with Gartner and she'd be able to ask him all those questions herself. Now, it would be two days before Gartner's sentencing that Carrie would get the meeting with him. It's said that Carrie was coached by the Escondido Police Department and they warned her that if she showed any kind of rage or anger that she might not get the answers that she was looking for from him. During this meeting, Gardner, with Gardner, Carrie would learn that Gardner was driving in the neighborhood at about 7 o'clock in the morning when he would spot Amber. And she was walking alone. And Gardner would describe how he pulled up next to Amber, he rolled down the window, and Gardner told Carrie how he had a knife visible in the front seat of the car. So he would tell Amber to get in the car, showing her the knife. Um, he also mentioned that um, he would also tell Amber that he also had a gun and that if she didn't get in the car, that things would get a lot worse for her. So Garner said that Amber looked at him in disbelief and in shock, and that Amber would ask Garner if he was kidding. It's then that Garner stated that at this point he would raise his voice at Amber and say, get in the fucking car. So Amber gets in the car. He drives to a remote area. Garner states that during this 40-minute drive that Amber would ask him why he was doing this. And Garner told Carrie that at some point, Amber would ask him if he can turn on the radio and just play music because she just wanted to pretend like she was somewhere else. I mean, that's just, that's heartbreaking to me. I, I can't even imagine what was going through her mind at that point. Then Garner would describe how he would drive into that Pala Indian Reservation and he would drive and park into a very remote part of the reservation and he said how he raped her twice and it wouldn't be after the second time of raping her that then he would reach for a knife and he would stab her. We do have a portion of the clip where Werner's explaining what occurred that day. I passed her driving down the street. I pulled up next to her with the windows down in the car. Uh, I had uh, the knife out, invisible, and told her that I also had a gun and to get in the car or it was going to be a lot worse. She actually looked at me uh, in kind of shock and disbelief and asked me if I was kidding. And I raised my voice and yelled, no, get the F in the car. I drove to the remote area 
Carrie said that she walked out of that meeting about 30 minutes later and that she finally felt like she had closure. She she had relief. She finally knew what happened to her daughter. Cause you know, throughout this whole time she just wanted to know how did how was he able to get her in the car? Did she cry for her? Um, these were all questions that just Carrie wanted to know and you know, Gardner did state to her how not once did Amber cry. Um, so she just got all those, she just felt like she finally had closure because she had answers to all those questions. Now, during this sentencing, the King family, along with Carrie and Candace, um, they would give their victim impact statement. And Gardner had no reaction to either one of those statements. We actually have those victim statements, courtesy of Channel 10 News San Diego. Take a listen. John. Since I learned of your arrest for Chelsea's murder, I refuse to speak your name. I have called you monster, sociopath, serial killer, animal. You are all of those things. In my view, until today, you did not deserve a name because your acts were not human. But as I thought about what I was going to say today, I realized that names like monster and animal, in a perverse way, let you off the hook. You know what you were doing when you chose to corner Chelsea. You could have prevented yourself from committing this crime. You had plenty of lucid moments after you viciously beat the 13-year-old girl 10 years ago. You knew who you were and what you were capable of. You stolen from a magnificent 13-year-old boy his magnificent sister, and his ever-present best friend. You've stolen future memories he would have made with her, but never the precious memories he already has. That he should de be deprived of a future without his sister is cause enough for you to burn in hell. his trust in the world around him. You robbed him of his mental and emotional security. You dismantled a family life that was built on love, trust, and faith. But you did not destroy it. Look at me. Why am I not surprised? Now, with our last hope for justice, we depend on the prison community to slowly and painfully cause your remaining days on this earth to be a living nightmare. I spent my whole life protecting my girls. There, are no way, there is no way to give Allison back her older sister, her role model, her everything. There is no way to restore her sense of innocence and wonder in the world and most of all her sense of security. 
You have taken my daughter and my best friend. You have taken my youngest daughter's role model and her innocence. You have taken a bright, shining star from this community and our world away. And for what purpose? To serve your sick, twisted, perverted mind. Today justice is served. I do not hold the justice system guilty. I hold you guilty. Guilty for robbing each of us of these beautiful girls. Not until Candace went up and she gave her impact statement. She ended her statement with saying something along the lines of, I'm also here to ask, how's your nose doing? And at that point, you just see Garner's face like just transforming. You see this like rage. You literally see him get red. And then you see him mouth to his lawyers, she didn't hit me. Now. I know we have the clip of that. Right. But you obviously can't see it. Right. If you can you will see his face because it, it was almost you see so much anger. Yeah, and we'll post face. we'll post that clip onto our website um, so that our listeners can see it. But yeah, you, I mean, we'll play it for you guys so that you can hear it. But it's just the visual of his face, how he just transforms, and how angry he looked. Go ahead and take a listen to it. I came here today for all of the women who have ever been victims of violence to ask with Chelsea and Amber's voices to remove this man from our world, to make us a little safer by locking him up permanently, and to finally free us from this nightmare that he has created. And finally, to ask him how his nose is. I mean, I guess at that point, after seeing his face like that, you just kind of have to wonder and think, like, he's clearly just, there's something wrong with him. He's, like, sick in the head, you know? I, it's just, it, it's just, it's horrible. But, so, after all this, um, Chelsea's parents still proposed a, a new law called Chelsea's Law. And in 2011... The governor would sign and pass Chelsea's law. Chelsea's law allows life without parole sentences for adult predators who kidnap, drug, bind, torture, or use a weapon while committing a sex crime against a child. And life terms would be ordered for the first time offenders and repeat offenders so that this doesn't happen again to any other family. So you guys, in order to try and prevent from these laws being created because of tragedy, at the end of every podcast, I would like to introduce to you a local San Diego open case in hopes that maybe one of our listeners can help solve one of these cases. And today I picked a case from the San Diego Crime Stoppers. And investigators from San Diego Police Department Homicide Unit are asking for the public's help in identifying and locating the suspect responsible for the murder of 49-year-old Ricardo Moran. 
On October 5, 2019, at approximately 1.35 a.m., San Diego police officers responded to a report of gunshots heard in the area of the 1800 block of South 42nd Street in the Sheltontown area of San Diego. When officers arrived at the scene, they found two adult male victims on the sidewalk suffering from apparent gunshot wounds. Both victims were transported to a local hospital. One of the victims suffered serious injuries, but is expected to survive. The other victim, later identified as Ricardo Moran, succumbed to his injuries and was pronounced deceased at the hospital. San Diego Police homicide detectives were called to the scene and began investigating the incident. Witnesses report hearing a vehicle speed away from the scene shortly after hearing the gunshots. However, no vehicle description was provided. There's no suspects or description at this time. Anyone with information about this murder is encouraged to call San Diego Police Department's Homicide Unit at 619-531-2293 or contact the local Crime Stoppers anonymous tip line at 888-580-8477. You can also visit the Crime Stoppers website at www.sdcrimestoppers.org for more information on how to send anonymous tips and also we will be posting a link on our website to the reward poster that's posted on crimestoppers.org also just remember that all of these tips are anonymous nobody has to know that you're the one that brought justice to this family if you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcasttruecrimeweekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you leave a five-star review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. The only way that people find out is through the subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.